Download a podcast from Relay FM recorded Thursday, April the 27th, 2017. Episode number one Wardrobe Philosophy. Welcome to Download, a weekly look at the most interesting stories in the world of technology and other stuff you care about. I'm Jason Snell, your host, and this week I am joined by two wonderful guests. Lisa Schmeiser is editor-in-chief of the Supersite for Windows and a, and a good friend. Hi, Lisa. Hi, it's a pleasure to be here. And uh, a, another former colleague of mine, Serenity Caldwell, the managing editor at iMore. Hi, Serenity. Hi, Jason. I'm excited for this. Thank you show. <laughs> both for being on episode one of a podcast. You never know what might happen. It's all to play for. Nothing has been decided. The things we do today may set the stage, or they may not. Or we may all look back at this and shake our heads. Who knows? Anyway, <laughs> uh, let's get to it. The three best stories of the week, as chosen by me, as well as the download podcast gnomes which is a terrible thing to call my producer, Stephen Hackett. He does not live in a garden. <laughs> I do not. Topic number one is the Amazon Echo Look. Now, I'm a slob. Um, I This is a product from Amazon that is not probably directed at me, although maybe it is. Maybe it will try to help me. This is an Amazon Echo that has a camera and a flash on it, and it's designed to live in your closet or on a table in your bedroom and seems to be about the clothes you're wearing. Um, I'm curious, and, and I, I should also say what's interesting about the product video is unlike almost every tech product video I see, almost everybody in the video is a woman, and the only people who speak in the video, including the narrator, are women. So it strikes me as being a product more targeted at women than men, um, and probably not at slobs, so I'm doubly out of this case. But I'm curious what both of you think about the Echo Look, and you know what makes this better than a mirror? What is the value here? Lisa, what do you think? I think the first thing you have to remember is that that you are actually the product Amazon is selling because your job as far as Amazon is concerned is to generate a lot of data. And then what they'll do with that data is they'll crunch it, they'll repackage it, they'll use it for leverage with their own suppliers and their own partners, and then they'll sell it to third parties. So this to me looks like a genius way for Amazon to generate lots of data, both with how people choose to interact with these tools and what the purchase, what the purchasing behavior is consequent to the interaction and more importantly, what they're not buying and what they're not doing. Um, it's not something I can see myself using. It's something that I'm going to watch pretty carefully. You have to remember Amazon has been trying to break into fashion and retail really aggressively for the past five to six years. Um, and, um, you know, they have a part, I can't remember if they bought or they have a partnership with, with Shop Bop, but they've done that. They've sponsored um, the Men's New York Fashion Week for years and years and years. And they've figured out that um, Amazon Prime is a great replenishment service for them. Amazon Prime and Amazon Subscribe and Save. So I wouldn't be surprised if this uh, device is going to tie into the notion of replenishment retail. Like, oh, hey, I noticed that you've been wearing black t-shirts lately. Do you want to maybe buy a second one because that one's been faded in the wash? Or it's been three months since you've worn this type of jeans. 
Um, are you aware of the options we have? Here's stuff that you've already bought that you can mix and match with. I mean, this is data mining and upselling 101 for them. Yeah, I, I do wonder about the uh, the next step of this. There are obviously a couple phases here, and the the user benefit that they describe is you get to you know you get to see yourself. You can make videos. You look at them on your phone. But there is this suggestion of like which outfit uh, is more stylish and all that. And then and then the the promise of what is to come, which is obviously suggesting products for you to buy, whether that's stuff that they want to push or I mean I like what you said about a faded t-shirt I also had that thought of saying you've been wearing a lot of uh, black and and brown lately how about yeah. uh, yellow and <laughs> try to sell you a, some variety too I don't know uh, yeah affinity selling I mean you take a look at the selling experience on Amazon right now and anytime you buy something there's always customers who bought this also bought that and um Amazon's product fits in really nicely with a couple key sea changes in retail as a whole right now. Um, and this is where I apologize to everybody. I'm kind of a retail nerd on the side. <laughs> it's like my fantasy football. Like I'm the least fashionable person on the planet, but I follow this stuff like people follow the NFL. And there are a couple things going on in retail right now. Number one is that department stores are cratering. Um, people have been talking about the quote unquote retail apocalypse of 2017 because nobody is, is, um, going into stores specifically. And the second trend, which may or may not be related to the first, is that younger people and affluent people have started shifting their spending, um, their discretionary spending to stuff that looks great on social media. Um, this is why you're seeing a real big push for experience. Um, you know, people post pictures of, of people post selfies with restaurants they've been to, parks, things like that. Um, one way retail is beginning to fight back, as it were, is they're more aggressively pursuing an Instagram audience and they're trying to generate experiences and excitement over social media so that people can share this experience of see seeing something, clicking on something, buying something. And the idea that you would have this piece of technology that assesses your outfit and or lets you share it to people by saying, oh, well, I said I'm looking pretty fly today. Like that's a really clear um, strategy aimed at the young people, as it were, you know, like not people, in their, well, not people in their 40s and 50s who are used to going to stores and trying things on and comparison shopping and things like that, but rather um, people who shop like my 18 year old niece shops, which is that she'll go, she might go to a store, but she doesn't buy something until she's Snapchatted it or taken selfies and gotten like, you know, her opinions. Her, uh, yeah. The symposium, like the symposium of girlfriends always in and things like that. And <laughs> shopping is a social, shopping is both a social experience and a product, product for them. To, to burnish their social brand that way too. I also, you just made me think of uh, people who wore this also wore is something they're mm -hmm. going to be able to do at some point. Oh yeah. Oh, which absolutely. Is, is wild. This is my feeling is I, I see this and my first thought when I looked at it is, Oh my God, it's a product out of Josie and the Pussycats. I don't know, <laughs> like, so I don't know how many people who are listening to this podcast actually ever watched the movie remake they did of Josie and the Pussycats in the what late 1990s, early 2000s. But it's it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful, terrible movie. Oh, about Tara Reid is so great in that. I, I highly encourage anybody who really enjoys kind of tongue-in-cheek, subversive uh, winks and nods about our culture uh, because it really, it, it is delightful. Uh, but one thing that they really stress is kind of like, our job is to basically to not predict what people are going to buy. Our job is to make trends and basically in like in indict the population into wearing or or choosing a certain thing. Orange is the new black. Uh, and what this 
definite, like, when I saw this the first time, I'm like, oh, of course. Like, the next step here is now they have full body pictures of you in various outfits. It's not mm-hmm. going to take all that much more social, uh, just physical engineering and, uh, you know, computer programming to say, okay, now we can actually, you know, those quote unquote virtual try-ons that, that everybody has that really aren't <laughs> that great. Now we have a 360 degree picture of you that we can easily make into a 3D model. We can predict, you know, based on a six month, uh, snapshot of your selfies. Uh, how much weight you've gained, how, you know, how certain clothes hang on you, how certain clothes mm-hmm. fit you. And we can have a combined, you know, you, you take the combined algorithms of whatever Amazon has behind the scenes. And then kind of like the Apple Music angle, you take a couple of people who are really, really good at starting trends and making things happen. Uh, and there's the there's the potential for basically Amazon becoming the the new trendsetter, so to speak. Now, that requires people to actually buy clothes on Amazon or buy this Echo Look in order to, you know, and and in enough scale to make this happen. But I'm assuming that they're not just launching this as, like, if you think about it, five years ago, this could have been an April Fool's joke. Yeah. You know, yep. this, in, in fact, when I first heard about it yesterday, I thought it was an April Fool's joke really late because I'm like, I don't, what? This is real? Um, but it makes, you know, it makes sense from a from a perspective exactly what you said, Lisa, about getting into the retail and really conquering fast. Talk about a way to conquer fast fashion oh, here. God. You know, you want you want a new wardrobe? We can have it shipped to you in 48 hours or less. Or if you're living in a, in a downtown city, we'll just bring it to you in the afternoon. They have that Amazon Discovery where they have uh, at least my front page of Amazon has like a ribbon of products at the top and it's Amazon Discovery. Here are cool things you might not have seen. And what I've noticed is when I click on that, they have curated collections that are done by specific people. So that and so they're already trying to drive you to do you like succulents? Here's a whole bunch of stuff handpicked by somebody who also likes succulents. And it seems, you know, Ren, to, to build off of what you're saying. It's not going to be that hard for them to do strategic partnerships with top Instagram influencers or to team up with something like Reward Style, which is a company that monetizes, you know, click throughs on, on, on different types of stuff. And all Amazon really has to do is get, I would say probably 20 to 25 influencers in different regions. Um, especially in Western Europe and eventually in Asia and have them use this documented obsessively on social media and team up with an affiliate marketer. And then, like you said, somebody can launch a little editorial thing like, I'm going away for a weekend. Oh, it's a last minute thing. What do I pack? Hey, this Amazon can help me. And they'll do that. They'll do the gimmick. And they'll they'll upsell with Amazon already has all your sizes. Amazon already has all your payment information on file. All you have to do is click on this capsule wardrobe and it's yours. So this is all interesting from a, a strategic standpoint, especially, of course, the fundamental problem with selling clothes on the internet is that you can't try them on. So there's so much that's going into this that's trying to bridge that gap. But let me ba- take it back to the product here. If you look at what this product is supposed to do, do you do either of you or both of you look at this and say, that's a product I actually would want to use? Or is it more interesting as a strategy move and less interesting as a product? Ren, what do you think about this as a would you would you get one of these? Would you use one of these? I think that if I did not care about the privacy implications whatsoever, I <laughs> might be intrigued about it because my first thought beyond the Josie and the Pussycats scary part is, oh, to reference another 90s movie, it's Clueless. You How know, have we not mentioned Cher's computer? We're getting there. We're getting there. <laughs> I mean, I, I definitely like the idea of cataloging my wardrobe because certainly, God knows, it's very hard, especially as somebody who like enjoys my wardrobe but doesn't 
think about fashion so much that every day is a struggle in terms of what I'm going to wear and what I'm going to pair. It's really nice to to be able to just like flick through things on my phone while I'm sitting in bed to be like, oh, right, I really liked that outfit and it's clean. I might as well wear it today. Uh, that part appeals to me. Uh, the part where Amazon takes photos of you and saves all of that data of you and then uses it in, in a way to predict outfits you might like. I don't know if I want a, an AI personal shopper at this point in my life. I think that my taste has gotten to a point where I'm pretty happy with the stuff that I'm buying and I'm pretty, I know where I can shop for the things that I really enjoy. And beyond that, I'm like, I don't really know if that's, it's for me, but I could see it, that said, being for other people. Well, what if it was really good though? I mean, what what if that, you don't want a personal shopper from Amazon, but what if Amazon sends you a push notification or an email that says, how about this? And you look at it and you say, oh my God, that is great. And I want that. Like, is there a way for this to force itself in if it's, because I do think the question is, is this ever going to be good enough? But if it was good enough, would you, wouldn't you want that? I mean, it's already good enough, um, not on an Amazon level, but I have newsletter subscriptions to the st- the stores that I buy most often for. And those newsletters are already scarily accurate and scarily <laughs> good when they're like, here's 40% off a new pair of lucky jeans. Don't you want a new pair of lucky jeans? And even though I have no I do now. need. Yeah, exactly. I have no need in my current wardrobe. But man, 50% off, 40% off, that's a hard deal to pass up. And that's how you end up buying lots of lots of clothing that you don't need and your wardrobe balloons in size. <laughs> What about you, Lisa? Does this appeal as a product or more as an idea? It's more an idea. I am absolutely not their customer. (laughs) Because, and I want to say, I understand why other people take a great deal of pleasure in having a wardrobe with a lot of variety and thinking about outfits and things like that. But about 15 years ago, I decided that I just didn't want to put the mental time and energy into it and basically like adopted a uniform, took Mm -hmm. most of the color out of my wardrobe. And I have a pretty basic set of rules that I use if I want to buy or replenish something. So I'm not who they would, I'm not who they'd go after because I wouldn't do the affinity or the upsell. And I'm actually really pretty finicky about what I shop for. Um, That said, I do actually buy all my underwear at Amazon because it's it's less expensive than it is in department stores. And I like being able to just buy a whole lot at once, get it shipped to me for free and not have to go anywhere. And what I'm wondering is if Amazon found a way to turn this into a replenishment type service where they're like, you know what, it's been a year since you've bought bras. Maybe you should do something about that. Then Maybe that's, I just don't like the idea of a camera and having all of that data uploaded someplace. Um, I don't like not knowing what happens to that data. Like that's my biggest concern about these products in general is I have no idea. Like I carved about this on Twitter last night with Netflix and they're like, oh, we take your viewing data and we do sell it to some third parties. And I was like, I appreciate you're saying that, but I would love to know who those third parties are. I'd love to know every time my data was sold to somebody and why, who and why. And Amazon is terrible about that. And we are going to talk about that. There's another story that re- really relates yeah. to this. But so, so I mean, yeah, let's not forget also, this is a camera and a microphone in your bedroom that can do yes. video or your changing room, wherever it is. And again, Amazon's not going to do anything creepy, probably intentionally, but it is the fact that a lot of people are uncomfortable with the idea of having a camera and a microphone that could be hacked or could record surreptitiously. And that makes people uncomfortable. I, do, I will say, though, on the trying not to take a positive view here, um, you mentioned 
mentioned a you have a Steve Jobs like uh, a wardrobe philosophy, which makes sense. I know a lot of people who are like that. I just I, I figure out this narrow thing that I want to I want to wear, and it makes it ev- life simple. I, I would imagine that at least Amazon would see you as an opportunity to if they could if they could crack it to sell you things that you would like. But again, I feel like a lot of this is uh, pie in the sky sort of stuff. I, I'm even skeptical about their little trick that they've got where they let you compare two different outfits and say which one is more stylish. I don't think that's real. I think that that's I, I don't I don't think that has value. I maybe one day the machine learning will be able to understand that, but I'm really skeptical that they can even do that. So that has yeah. value for teenage girls. That's sure. what, that's what that if they can crack it, that has values for any woman in between the ages of 11 and 35 i'd say 11 to 29 yeah yeah <laughs> and also yeah. you know just the indecisive even if it's totally yeah. random to have somebody say outfit b is better so you can just go with it instead of switching back mm-hmm. into outfit a so it's just any guidance you can get even if it's from a robot maybe that's why I, I think another thing like if you're talking about the guidance if you could if users could find a way to tweak the kind of guidance where the where where the, the amazon spits back this outfit is more stylish because there's a lot of people who have already adopted it as opposed to this outfit is fairly cutting edge and here's how it's trending up because you're always going to have people who want to be on the leading edge of a trend they don't want to set the trend but they want to be one of the first to wear it and if if the machine learning can get to the point where it's like, look, data shows that this particular cut of jeans is beginning to break big among trendsetters, that's a compelling sales point for people, you know, especially as they get older. Like if you're a teenager, you want to not, not all teenagers, hashtag, but I think teenagers, I think teenagers feel comfortable knowing that they've picked quote unquote, the right brand of shoes and the right cut of jeans and the right type of t-shirt. And so if Amazon can say, yeah, this is, this is firmly within your wheelhouse or this is, yeah, this is what you want to wear. Trust me. That's for them, I think, as, as maybe as a shopper gets older and they decide, I want to be more fashion forward or I want to be more traditional or I want to be more classic. If Amazon, if Amazon can get like a style profile attached to a customer and their machine learning can respond to that, that's what makes it useful. Because you're going to have customers who are like, I don't need to be trendy for the sake of being contrarian or because it doesn't go with their self-identity. But if the machine can say, this goes along with your self-perception of yourself, with your self-perception of your style, then that's how you that's how you make the sales conversion. Well, it's very interesting. I think this is a much, I, I think this discussion makes this a much more interesting product than it may look on its face, because this is all about where retail is going and where machine learning mm-hmm. is going. And that is going to have, as Lisa pointed out, a major impact on our economy and our society going forward. Uh, We have two more topics left to go on this episode of Download. Uh, This is normally where I tell you about our sponsors, but it's a brand new podcast. We don't have any sponsors yet, but I do want to tell you where to find us on the internet. You can tweet at us at underscore Download FM. It's like all the other relay shows, basically an underscore and then the name of the show and then FM. Uh, You can also visit us on the web and see all of our episodes. There's one, relay.fm slash download Load And a little later in the show, I'll tell you how to suggest stories for the podcast. But let's move on to topic number two. Now, uh, Unroll Me, which is owned by Slice, sold data to <laughs> Uber. It is the latest in a long line of stories about Uber that have come out. I don't really want to talk about Uber. This isn't even the most recent instance of bad behavior by Uber because this happened a few years ago. But I am interested in the data mining side of it. Slice bought Unroll Me and used it as a data source. It's unclear if Unroll Me was always intending to have its business model be free to users and then sell their aggregated data. But certainly Slice wanted the 
business to work that way. If you don't know, Unroll Me was a service that lets you easily unsubscribe to stuff by looking at your inbox of emails and then act on things it finds there. But of course, once it's reading all of your emails, then it can aggregate that data and do things like market research and and, and analytics. So in the case of Uber, Uber was able to use that data as a proxy for how well Lyft was doing by looking at the incidence of Lyft receipts in people's mailboxes over time. So there's a lot here, but first off, the obvious thing, it actually came up in the last, uh, in the last conversation too, free isn't really free, right? There's always a business model. There's always a revenue generator. And in this case, your personal data is your revenue generator. If a product is free, then you are the product by definition. It's got to be. In this case, you're, I mean, it's not always the case. There's freemium makes this a messy situation because sometimes the business model is give people a base level for free so that they want to pay you. But the other business model is it's free. It's always free. We don't have any other way for you to pay us. And at that point, their money has to come from somewhere, right? And in the case of, of Unroll Me, it comes from them selling an aggregate of your data to, you know, to whoever wants to buy Slices Research. Again, people who especially follow Apple, you know, have made the, the you're the product argument a lot, but it sort of bears repeating, right? I mean, this is this is mm-hmm. v- very clear proof, isn't it? So to, to go back to Harry Potter, <laughs> as we so often do in the high tech world. Of course, um, we're leaving uh, Josie and the Pussycats behind yeah, for now for, for on Harry, to Harry, Harry Potter. Potter. Returning to high fantasy. Yes. Yeah. Well, again, also the tech world. <laughs> no, there's a there's a line at the end of like Harry Potter and the Chamber of the Secrets when it's revealed that at this point, I'm spoiling a book that's like many years yeah, old. So it's okay. fine. Yeah. But um, there's a line at the end where we discover that Ginny Weasley has been writing in a diary that's controlled by Voldemort. And her mom says, Ginny, how many times have I told you never trust something if you can't see where its brain is? And I feel like you could adapt that to a lot of the quote unquote free stuff on the internet, like including Google, I would add, and Google Mail. If you can't see where the revenue model is, assume that you're the revenue model. You know, we're data generators. Every day we leave this huge stream of data wherever we go. And um, the issue I have with it personally as a consumer is I I would love it if these companies that do offer me free stuff in exchange for selling off my data, I would love it if they told me how to whom are they selling my data and how often and and what sort of price do I command? You know, if you're a product <laughs> no, if you're a product, wouldn't you like to know what your market value is? But then you would be able to sell yourself, Lisa, and then you mm. become less valuable to them. Uh. Yeah. I'm in complete agreement with, with you there. Uh well, I would – the thing about Unroll Me and the thing about all of these services, right, is that they they dangle a tantalizing option in front mm-hmm. of you saying, here, let me help you out with this tough problem that you're having. And we know that you're a cheapskate and you won't pay for it up front, but we still have to make some money. Uh, and pretty much since – I would say since 2007, when people like m- either my friends or my parents, et cetera – come to me and and ask about, okay, uh, you know, should I be worried about my privacy? Uh, my sister was trying to get herself entirely off the internet. She was like, I don't, I fed some, some company has my data and I don't know how I got that. And my response to her was essentially like, I don't want to be cruel here. But in essence, if you have ever said anything online, no matter how private that you think it is, there is a chance that it can be overheard, Snapchatted, Instagrammed, or otherwise put publicly where it can then be used either for someone else's benefit or against yours. 
And it's a, like, it's a, it's a hard concept to think about, but it's, it's really quite like, I'm not saying that everybody's evil and everybody's going to sell your data and, and take, you know, take advantage of you. But at the same time, I feel like we, we all have to be aware that just, you know, even though you think you may think that your your email is private or your text messages or are private, um, that is no excuse to God. I don't know because I feel I I'm I always feel so worried about the way that I frame this because I'm not saying it's your fault for putting you know information on the internet because it's not you know it's not really your fault. It's just more you should be cautious the same way that you might say something in a public park. Where, or honestly, even sending things through the regular mail, right? Where it's like, yes, it's a felony to open regular mail, but it still happens. People still open mail. And if you are, if you're going to basically, if you're going to use a service, no matter how secure you think that service is, just keep it in the back of your mind that anything that you put on that service might someday find its way into the wild or find its way to be used uh, against you in in selling you things. Well, sometimes there's also we put faith in technology that we don't put mm. into the real world and that can mm-hmm. be dangerous because that faith is that faith is misplaced. I do wonder if part of the problem here is obfuscation by these companies the, you know they're clearly ashamed of this because if they if they weren't they would just say so they would say what they're doing they would say you you know this is free how do we make money well we we aggregate all this data and we don't have and then they could go into detail if we don't see any of it and and, and that might be reassuring but Instead, what happens is they say privacy policy, tiny link, bottom of the page, as obscure as possible. And when you click on it, you get a giant raft of legalese, which is impossible oh. to read, even if it's a good company or a bad that company. That is one of my can't tell. biggest pet peeves right now is so just like in, in retail, there's a small luxury market for quote unquote transparency in the supply chain. I wonder if there's room in tech for a company where their privacy policy and all that stuff is actually written in like eighth grade language and it's short and to the point and you can hyperlink to the actual legal stuff that lawyers would have to bring into court or into litigation to defend themselves. But it's with a lot of these quote unquote free services, it's like companies go out of their way to make it as difficult as possible for you to know what the terms yeah. of service actually are. They're just counting on you to blindly click and keep going. And <laughs> well, what's really frustrating about this is back in like 2013, 2014, the FTC did investigate a whole raft of data brokers because Slice is just one of a whole bunch of data brokers that get the information generated by your Google searches and by your email, your web-based email activity, and by all of those free apps or browser extensions you've downloaded. And the FTC actually made recommendations to Congress, um, again, back in 2014. And they were like, you know, what you should do is um, you should take a look at how they're slicing and dicing consumers into different demographic groups, and then offering primers on how to financially target these people, their most vulnerable points. And what you should do is find a way to protect these consumers against this kind of unchecked collection and the unchecked marketing and make it more transparent. FTC made this recommendation. The Obama administration made this recommendation. Congress is like, we don't feel like we need to do anything about this. And so, no. And so we're currently in a state where our government is totally okay with us being, um, where, where our data trails are, are, are collected without without visible transparency or overt consent and they're collated and they're marketed and we don't get to see how our data is being used either for us or against us. 
Um, I did sign up for Unroll Me like way back in the day, like when it first came out, because I was kind of intrigued by it. And then when I saw how it was supposed to work, because they're like, oh, we'll unsubscribe you from all these things you don't remember subscribing to. And then what they wanted to do was, quote unquote, roll up the rest of your email into one email digest that they would send to you every day. So basically what they would do is they would edit and collate your email and send it back to you. And somehow this is supposed to make your life easier. And the sheer thought of them doing that wigged me out really badly. <laughs> and that's when I was like, okay, no, I can't do this. And then figured out, you know, it's probably just simpler if once or twice a year, I do a search in my inbox for the words unsubscribe and to unsubscribe mm -hmm. and to manage your account. And anything that popped up that I hadn't dealt with, I could deal with it then, you know, like I have a girlfriend who every Black Friday, um, whenever a retailer sends her an email, she's like, oh, good, unsubscribe. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was it it was a service where they, they were trying to sell this convenience. Oh, you know, it can be a pain in the neck to try to figure out how to unsubscribe, especially since a lot of places don't have safe unsubscribe or one click unsubscribe. I get that they, I get the appeal. But then part two was also, we will manage your email traffic for you from now on. And I was like, what? No, uh-uh. <laughs> a step too far. A whole level yeah. of, of uh, faith, of trust that you have to have. And I, what I found is it's not entirely true, but the, the companies that you trust or that you you actually will end up trusting are the ones that do try to make it clearer it's the ones that are a little bit ashamed of what they're doing that hide it because they have something to hide but the problem is as a consumer you often can't tell the difference and it and it makes it really difficult so I have a bigger picture here that I'm interested in what you what you think about it which is much has been made of the story and we've made a lot of it here I wonder though if too much is being made because this is not what this story is not about is about Uber buying your emails from Slice. <laughs> what this story is about is anonymized, aggregated data. It, it is um, it is not like anyone sitting down and reading your mail at Unroll Me. They're looking for like a number of this many emails, this many receipts from Lyft came in uh, in total among our sample. It's a lot like uh, you might have like with a Nielsen box where it knows what you're watching in TV, but in reality, it's all getting rolled up. So do we make too much of this? Is this, it, does this distract us from more dangerous data breaches or is it all of a, of a, of a whole? Serenity, what do you think? Oh gosh. I mean, the, I think the issue with anonymized data in general is that in in of itself, on what Unroll Me and what Slice is doing is not a huge deal. Um, the the actual act of oh yeah, it's all anonymized, and we're basically just selling data like num raw numbers to Uber. Um, the the scary thing, and I think where people start to take umbrage and and get concerned, is what could also be done with that data because I mean as as Apple identified last year when they were talking about how they're working on differential privacy truly anonymized data is very very difficult to do um and if it's you know if someone's just looking for a wide swath of things like uh, analytics right give me give me how many people between the ages of 18 to 35 use Lyft more than they use Uber um that's not a as big of a deal as when you get really, really finely tuned the way that like Facebook's doing their ads now, right? Show me only people between the ages of 18 to 30 living in this small suburb of Boston who like this particular brand. That could be 10 people, right? And then from there, f figuring out who those 10 people are, figuring out specifically, even if it's quote unquote anonymized, is not going to be 
tricky work for anybody who's a skilled data manipulator. And that's the scary, the scary bit, right? That's, that's where quote unquote anonymized services start to look a whole lot less anonymized and a whole lot more like, you know, a potential for a massive data breach. So what do we do? I mean, what, what, where do you, what, what does a regular consumer on the internet short of throwing their computer in a river <laughs> and, and retreating up a path into the deep woods? What do we do? How do we behave on the internet, uh, to protect our information? And where do you, uh, where do you draw the line, Lisa? Where, where, what, do, what do you do and where do you draw the line? I got to be honest with you, becoming the Iron Dragon, protecting Kunlun looks pretty good right about now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm off the grid. I'm wearing some fly black pajamas. Screw you. Amazon. I hear solar no. panels <laughs> are way more efficient than they used to be. So yeah. get one off the grid. You know, you can still uh, watch some TV. There is one I am smitten by that I saw at CES, but that's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> and that's a whole, if we ever have an electric car topic, we can bring that back in. Um, so the long story short, I go back to the, you know, you never trust something if you can't see where its brain is. And at this point, I don't sign up for free services on the internet, mostly because none of them are transparent about what they're going to do with your data. And I feel, I feel like I have, I feel like I have more, more, more firm legal standing if, if I do pay for Evernote every year. And if I do pay for Feedly and, um, that way I can say, look, I'm a paying customer and I think your practice here is, is off-putting or what have you. Um, I think this, I think the reason it blew up big this year is because right now it's fun to pick on Uber, you know, and, and there's so much to pick on. And it's um, part of an, I, I, we've seen a lot of consumers going bananas over injustices in the system type stories this year because it has things to do with like the larger world in which we live in and people feeling powerless and, and exploited and wanting to fight back against that. Um, that said, I do think that data collection and data sales should be a much bigger story than it is. I think we don't have enough coverage where people are asking questions like, why can't we see where our data gets sold to? And why aren't companies transparent with us? And what is their rationale for that? And why does our government not feel like our personal data should be the, the the collection and sale of our personal data should be regulated and collected. Um, I would like to see a lot more attention paid to stuff like this because I am not sure people really realize. I mean, from a purely monetary perspective, do you realize how valuable you are? All of the data you generate, and as smart home stuff becomes more ubiquitous, do you realize how much data you're sending to these companies where they can sell it to appliance makers and they can sell it to utility companies and they can sell it to furniture makers even? But you know, also from a whole, if you're if you're a person and you're entering into some sort of transactional relationship with a business, it would be best if both sides were equally honest in their dealings, and right now they're not. Yeah, Ren. What about you? When what what do you think people can do, and where do you personally draw the line? I mean, like I said before, I really do think that the genie is kind of out of the bottle when it comes to you know completely protecting, going off the grid, you know, being a luddite um, with these services because it's you know the, the internet's been around for for a while now, and chances are in your history you've signed up for a free service or another and given away your data without realizing it. Um, what we have to be now is vigilant and basically look, as Lisa said, really look at the services that we're subscribed to, that the services we're using, and personally, like, do a little bit of vetting. It's like, am I, do I trust this company enough to, you know, do I trust Amazon enough to buy things off of, off of Amazon? 
Um, and in that, like, in that battle, my, my, uh, decision ended up being yes, but that was a long, that was a long road. There was like five or six years where I didn't use Amazon because I was just like, no, this is a terrible idea. And, you know, now it'll have all of my sales history. And sometimes I do look back at my order history on Amazon and I'm like, how much, how much data have I given this, this giant company mm -hmm. about me? Um, but it's the same thing for pretty much any service that you use. You really have to do that pros, cons way with yourself to decide whether or not this service is so valuable that it's worth the amount of data that you are potentially giving away in order to use it. Um, and, and if you can't make that decision, if you say, you know what, no, this isn't, this isn't worth it, then that's not a service you should be using, no matter how appealing it looks on the surface. You know, there are plenty of flowers that, that look beautiful and smell pretty, but it doesn't mean that some of them aren't poisonous. I'll be right back. I'm going to go up in my cave and uh, hide yeah. from all of this. But it's, I mean, I'll, I'll point oh, out Jason. one thing before yeah. I go is you could you could. So what if you vowed not to to uh, shop at Amazon? So you instead just uh, part, participate in the local economy. You go to those department stores that are going out of business. You go to all the other stores. You go to the big box stores and you use your credit card. Well, guess what? Your credit card you also is your selling data, your data. Yeah. Or if you have a grocery membership. Unless yeah, you're you know. living an all-cash kind of lifestyle um, where your bank can only anonymize and sell your cash flow and not where you spend. Like every place you look, there is somebody, because the financial services companies have been doing this for ages, there is somebody anonymizing and selling your data as well as selling your personal information to mailing lists and things like that. That all is part of the game. So it, The genie's out of the bottle. It's very difficult. So you talk about it as a game and, and one of the things that comes up with all this data that you have too, um, and I wrote about this in a column that's dropping tomorrow, is these retailers and a lot of businesses are now using this data about you to figure out how to effectively charge you the highest price. Um, for example, insurance companies have been experimenting with increasing people's premiums by triple digits, um, especially if it's somebody who has, say, an auto, a house, and a life policy with the same vendor. What they'll do is they'll try to increase a premium by, say, 700 bucks annually because they're betting that you were not going to go to the trouble of um, – you know, taking your business elsewhere because you're like, well, I have to find three different policies. <laughs> but here's the key. They're only doing this. They're, they're taking a look at people's data profiles after buying them from these services. And they're saying, okay, this person has a history of being really price sensitive. So we're not going to try this number on them. We'll just increase their premiums 50 bucks a year. But this person, this person will pay whatever. Like they are really indifferent to price fluctuations at grocery stores, it's clothing stores, whatever. We'll see if we can get away with a bigger premium increase because they historically do not take their business elsewhere. And that, that's another thing you have to consider when when you generate this data, when people collect it, it's not just I want to sell this person some stuff, it's going to be I want to sell this person some stuff at the highest price they will bear. And um, what that leads into is a lot of uh, highly quote unquote personalized pricing, which may or may not be, you know, slightly discriminatory, depending. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's another, you know, genie, uh, no noxious little genie swirling out of the bottle as well. <laughs> is you've you've got these places that have all this data on you, and more importantly, on the aggregates that you belong to, and they could decide that. Oh, I see that you're, you know, I see that you're um, a married person in your thirties. I'm going to charge you forty percent less for this item than I would for a single woman in her twenties because blah 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 reason 
And um, it's going to be incumbent on consumers then to try to figure out what these pricing variations are and how they how they link up to different demographic groups and then try to find a lawyer who can argue that, you know, you're actually violating their rights as a citizen because you're discriminating against them. So it's um, like I said, I'd love to see more on this story because the data that's being collected and how it's being used affects people in 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 so many ways that they may not be aware of. Well, obviously, a much deeper story than just that. Uber is a bunch of buttheads. Uh, yeah. There's a lot more here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have one more topic, uh, but before we get that, I've got a couple other things to mention. Uh, we do have a hashtag, everybody loves hashtags, where you can tweet to recommend stories that you think are going to be one of the three or four best stories of the week for next week. Use the hashtag download stories on Twitter. If you want, you can send that to us at underscore download FM or not. If you use that hashtag, that's really all that we ask. Um, and one thing I like to do in every episode, and since this is the first episode, I guess it's true as soon as I do it, um, something I like to call a story you might have missed. It's a story that has flown under the radar a little bit, but I think it might be worth mentioning, and maybe you can uh, look at the link in the show notes and find out more about it. Well, the Wall Street Journal this week reported Amazon has formed a team of a dozen employees as part of the company's plan to transport more goods itself. Now, they're building drones, they're leasing 40 planes, they've bought thousands of big rig trailers and put Amazon logos on the side. Amazon is definitely looking at how it can ship things itself to save money instead of using, uh, or in addition to using, perhaps, the existing shipping infrastructure, UPS, the Postal Service, Federal Express, stuff like that. But don't jump to conclusions and think that Amazon is now embarking on a path where it, like every other tech giant in the world, is building its own self-driving car. Amazon's probably not making that fire car that consumers will reject, probably, just like the fire phone. Instead, (laughs) what the Wall Street Journal reports is, for now... Amazon doesn't intend to build a fleet of vehicles. Instead, the team serves as an in-house think tank to figure out how to leverage autonomous vehicles. So in other words, Amazon doesn't necessarily need to build its own autonomous vehicle. It just needs to think about what will happen to their infrastructure and moving products around when there are autonomous vehicles that they can buy or lease or whatever they need to do. They might not need to build them at all. They can just use other people's tech. But what Amazon is absolutely doing, and this dovetails with what what Lisa was saying a, a few minutes ago, they are finding other ways to squeeze more inefficiency out of their markets, or in this case, their distribution and delivery network. Delivery drivers, that nice person who brings that box to your door, might be in their sights. And one of the ways that that might happen is by using self-driving tech, even if they don't build it themselves. I thought that was an interesting little tidbit from the Wall Mm -hmm. Street Journal that you might have missed. Self-driving trucks combined with Prime Air drones to drop them off at your house. Yeah, maybe a little robot. Yeah, the drones just come out of the trucks and drop the box mm-hmm. off and then go right back to the truck. Maybe so. Uh, the future. There's been an increase in congestion on city streets thanks to the rise of Amazon and same-day or second-day delivery. And um, one of the things I'd be curious to see how Amazon is going to tackle in the future is whether they start getting into like infrastructure and transit policy as a whole. Because you can't really have an effective fleet of self-driving anything if the roads are either congested or in really poor shape. <laughs> it's hard to do uh, the one-hour one, uh, one hour delivery or the two-hour delivery if the roads are congested, unless you have a drone, I suppose, which is they're thinking of everything at Amazon. Um, topic number three is a little shift in gears, but I think it's a very interesting story. Uh, Juicero, a startup <laughs> that provides fresh juice. <laughs> 
it makes me think of the Canyonero song from The Simpsons mm-hmm. a little bit. Uh, <laughs> last week, Bloomberg did this report that made waves. It showed people squeezing the juice bags that uh, you are supposed to buy and put in this expensive juicer from the fresh juice startup Juicero. They just squeeze them with their bare hands and the juice comes out. Now, there's a lot of moving parts to this story. There is a well-funded startup. There is this expensive bit of extraction hardware. And I think what tickled a lot of people is just the spotlight being put on a product most of us have probably never heard of. And when we saw it, we thought it was maybe a little ridiculous. But to me, the most important or the most interesting angle anyway that came out was earlier this week when a guy named Ben Einstein, who is a product designer and a partner at a venture capital firm called Bolt, wrote this Medium post about the product itself, the, the squeezer that they sold, the internet-connected juice bag squeezing device. Yes, that's what it is, uh, the one you don't need to use. He tore one apart, and the, the Medium story is great because what it says is this is an amazing piece of engineering. Um, it, it, we can laugh at the fact that you could squeeze this with your bare hands, but the, the Juicero juicer itself is a pretty remarkable bit of tech. The problem is what it's for and why it exists. And that was the thing that I loved about Ben Einstein's post is it, it makes you start to think about what what makes a good product and what makes a bad product and what companies do it right and wrong. And it leads me to ask, it, it seems like Juicero took their $120 million and decided to spend it on building a product rather than really truly understanding its market, not by doing research, and this is Ben Einstein's argument, not by doing research, but by releasing an initial product that didn't cost $120 million and learning. So is this is this where Juicero went wrong? What what went wrong here that, that this product ended up existing and they spent $120 million to make a product that is not really much better than using your own bare hands? Well, I think the start uh, is the, you know, the original Bloomberg article where it says the creator of Juicero, uh, whose name is uh, Evans. I'm trying to remember. See, Juicero name. sounds like cereal. Um, Juicero sounds like a Canyonero. Yeah. Whatever. Juicero. I'm going to call it Juicero because it's Whoa. a Canyonero. Juicero. It's probably Juicero because it sounds more fancy. But this you guy, can, you can sing along to Valero. Juicero by, by, uh, by, anyway. by Dean Martin. Juicero. <laughs> Juicero. Perfect. Let's just sing the rest of the rest of this discussion. Yeah, uh, it's interesting to me because the the line from the Bloomberg story is technology was a new thing for him, but he picked <laughs> it up quickly. He follows a 50 years old. He follows a diet of mostly raw vegan foods. Um, and <laughs> so this picture to me paints of someone who maybe was a good businessman doing his cold press uh, juice bar. But somebody who had no idea what it took to build this kind of machine, he just had a, again, it's kind of the, it's, it reminds me, actually, he compares himself to Steve Jobs here, because surprise, um, yeah. it actually reminds me of, of Jobs and the Lisa, right? And he had a vision, the idea of just, yeah, he had a vision, and nothing else would stop it. And he kept on putting more and more and more and more and more expensive parts in it, despite the fact that it was doomed to fail. It was like, no, it has to be the best, and it has to work the most pristinely, and all of these parts need to be machined, because that's what Steve Jobs would do. That's what, you know, pioneers in this field would do. You know, there are 400 custom parts, and I must oversee and look and hold each one of them in my hand. And, ble- like, I, I'm, I'm going overboard with this a little bit, but, but the point here 
is that you've got somebody, this company sounds to me like you have somebody with a vision and a great way of, of pitching something and you didn't have the, not even the CFO. You just didn't have, you didn't have the Tim Cook, the COO lurking in the background, essentially saying, Hey, I have some experience. We can do this better. Uh, and, and not have it cost $400 and still achieve your vision. Maybe we don't let's, know let's everything about this market. Maybe we need to learn by yeah, having a product in exactly. this market, right? Yeah, I also wonder about the whole razor and blades thing. I was thinking about that with this product too, which is... Jason, that was my that was my thought was like, I think the reason all this dumb money went into Juicero is because people looked at the subscription box business and the beauty behind that business for the most part is once you're signed up, like you don't unsubscribe. Um, and it's kind of the same thing with Amazon Prime, for example, you've signed up for the service and you just keep spending and people don't cancel. Like inertia makes money. And so when I first read about Juicero, I thought, oh, the, you know, it's ridiculous they're making this a $400 machine because it's a high barrier to entry. All of the money is going to be in the overpriced packets of goo. Exactly. And, and it's like the curry coffee maker where they're actually comparatively speaking, you're like, oh my God, this is like four times what I pay for a French press. But what really costs you money are all the stupid little cups you put inside for your convenient single serve. <laughs> well, and like yep. I have, someone gave me a curry for free. That's and, how they get you, Lisa. Um, That's how they get you. And I order the replacements on Amazon Prime. So <laughs> 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 but for, for like, and it's like, it cost me like 50 cents per cup of coffee, which, you know, is, is, better than you could do if you went to Starbucks or whatever. But with Juicero, I thought, wow, um, whoever was responsible for developing the business model and spinning this out really failed both their investors because they and 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 the messaging for the product because it should have been yes it's a pre it's a premium machine but you know what really works is the convenience and you you we deliver this stuff to your door and just sell it as a luxury experience and they totally didn't do that instead it was this whole behold the sterling silver ball bearings that will help squeeze your spinach mm -hmm. and like nobody's interested in that everybody is interested in the idea of how do I get healthy without spending any time or effort or changing anything about my life and can it be shiny like that's all they had to sell and they completely failed that account. Yeah, they made they made a I mean they're not not that the juice packs are are cheap for Juicero, but but they made a very expensive razor with relatively cheap blades in when the whole point was to sell lots of blades and make a profit. Um and, and it just seems like it's a basic it's a basic mistake here. Like I I kept thinking about my soda stream when I was reading about this product, because that's a good example of like, I love my SodaStream. We make uh, we make uh, fizzy water with it all the time. It's a it's a nice thing to drink during the day. Uh, but you know, the SodaStream, it's not internet connected. It doesn't read the. It doesn't have a, a special bottle that tells you exactly how much is left in the bottle and automatically orders you a a a new CO two bottle or anything like that. It is a piece of plastic, a nice looking piece of plastic around a CO two bottle there's not a lot to it um and i think that's the beauty of it is that there's not a lot to it and i kept thinking what if this product was like that what if this product was super simple and maybe you even needed to do the leverage yourself like with the soda stream and like push down on a on a lever or a button somewhere in order to get the juice to come out because in the end the point was to get you to sign up for their subscription service and they'll take a loss on the and juicer. drink the juice exactly mm -hmm. yeah yeah I mean, I gotta be honest, the thing I love the most with my Keurig is I can program it to turn on and off. And that's about as much technology as I want. Yeah. I don't want to have to, 
I don't want to have to worry about preloading it with a cup so I can have it automatically launch into you know my, my morning brew or whatever. And just to be clear, the juicer, the juicero juicer, one of the things it does yeah. is it goes out over the internet and reads the barcode on the juice and makes sure that the juice is fresh and not bad, mm. which is nice. Because heaven forfend that someone can't look at the packaging themselves exactly. and say, oh, this says an expiration date. Exactly. Yeah. Why is this sludge gray? Is that supposed to be a thing? But <laughs> no, the, what, what, what's boggling is is they've they've so consistently messed up the messaging, like from the word go. And this week there was like that medium post where I'm just trying to address the obesity epidemic and get fresh vegetables to people, and I'm all a four hundred dollar juicer is not <laughs> really going to yeah. tackle all of the infrastructure issues that have led to this. And <laughs> for you to claim otherwise just makes the product look dumber. Like at this point, stop making the product look dumb start emphasizing it's shiny it's convenient it's a luxury it it drops stuff in your lap you don't have to do a thing like that really should be the the, the angle that they're going for and it's baffling to me why they've chosen to go the way they've chosen with with responses so is there something about the tech industry's culture that causes broken like broken ideas like this to exist because I, I feel like that's the core of this is that there is a myopia here about who people are who customers are what technology is for and I don't know how tied in that is with the sort of venture capital we've got a lot of money <laughs> you know we're going to spend it here but I, I i don't know what what is it about the tech culture that causes uh, something as impractical and overpriced as this to exist and is there any way for us to change it i don't know i mean the the core of it here is that a lot of these products get developed and talked about and and workshopped between people who are living in the bubble, right? Who are living in Silicon Valley, who are living in the high-end areas of Los Angeles, who are living in the high-end areas of New York, where they are used to pulling salaries of, you know, $150,000, $400,000. And to them, $400 is, you know, it's money. It's just something you pay to buy a thing. Like also in that Bloomberg story kind of and crazy to me is that the machine wasn't originally four hundred dollars. The machine was originally seven hundred dollars. Yeah, before I they dropped when that it. first came out. Yeah, businesses yeah. paid yeah. more than a thousand dollars for the business version. Yeah, twelve hundred dollars for a business. Uh, so to to look at that and just say like this. It, this wasn't something that just got past one person. This is this was a pitch that got past many people, all of whom who thought, yes, there's absolutely people who will pay seven hundred dollars for juicers. Absolutely, this will you know this will go on my kitchen. This will go in a kitchen everywhere. Um, and they really, I mean, it's a it's a detached lifestyle from the vast majority of the country and honestly the world. Where you really, if you're going to develop for technology, you really have to think about not only your market, you know, if you, if you really just want to make a niche product for the 1%, then you can release a $400 juicer and, and go all in on it and make it the best, shiniest, most perfect juicer the world has ever seen. But if you, like, if you're focused on, again, making everybody healthy, like, you have to actually do testing. You've got to do user focus groups. You've got to go out to, you know, your average neighborhood and find out what the cost of, what, what is the cost of making a smoothie? How much do people spend on average buying, buying smoothies and juice every week? How do you, how do you find the sweet spot? It just doesn't seem like any normal market research was done here. One of the most pernicious um, sentiments that percolates through tech culture as a whole has to do with time and how you should spend it. And um, I have sat in countless pitches and actually overheard countless conversations where the attitude towards time is it had better be productive, it had better be making money, it had better be doing something cool. And 
a corollary of that is when you do have Silicon Valley types who get into things like human nutrition, it's, it's how do I life hack this? How do I optimize this? And Juicero is kind of a natural fit for that thing. I mean, you forget, this is also the same culture that thinks Soylent is a great idea, where, you know, they're like, let's take all of the idea that you deserve to take time to sit down and enjoy a meal without having to hustle, without having to, you know, work, without having to labor for somebody else. Like they've taken that idea and be like, eh, that's irrelevant. Just, just, you know, throw some nutrients into your gob because you have other things to do. And Juicero is part of that, where the idea is, um, you do not have the time to actually think about what you're putting in your body or why you want to keep your body healthy. Um, go back to work, drone, drink this juice, <laughs> it will keep you healthy. But there, there really is this idea that time is only valuable if it's spent making more money. And the, the a, a corresponding idea is that self-care is only valuable if it makes you more competitive and more productive. And I feel like Juicero is kind of the logical apex of both of those sentiments put together. I, if you had a technology, like a $400 device where someone's like, sit on this device for 20 minutes every day and you'll have, and, and you'll look like the rock. And I guarantee you, like, that would also get funding and that would also get launched to the general incredulousness of, of the non-bubble people. Cause again, it, it takes the idea that taking care of yourself is something you do only, only in the service of like greater money or greater productivity. And, um, it encourages you to to think about time and health as fun as as you know these are qualities that need to be you know put in service of the of the almighty dollar and that's kind of an ethos that's that's really come to, to play in the tech culture and the in especially this iteration of it and it's kind of gross I, I will say all of that aside as a collector of computer hardware technology hardware this thing is beautiful and i look forward to the day where i get one on ebay for 17 bucks and put it on a shelf because it's just gorgeous <laughs> <laughs> uh the yeah you do wonder if one of the the fundamental things here is that if you've got access to amazing engineers who build computer hardware then every nail um, you know, is is one that you need to hit with a Wi-Fi connected Bluetooth enabled hammer, right? Like, you know, <laughs> we why why make a simple lever when I can make this automatic auto squeezing lever that's also got a barcode reader and an LED, you know, an LED in the front that lights up and tells you what's going on and a little display and you know, some of it is just that, which is, did this need to be a tech product or 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 did this was the tech product angle to get the venture funding from tech venture capitalists? When all the really all the guy really wanted to do was sell juice, you know, all I think all in the end, all he really wanted to do was sell juice subscriptions and the rest of the business was built around it uh, and it got out of hand. I don't know. It's a it's a what a what a story. I will say that. I'm glad I'm not one of those investors, but what a story this whole thing was. Well, um I think the appearance of Stephen Hackett's voice is a good indicator that it's time to get out of town. So, um let me tell you what's going to be happening in the week ahead. Um it's the most wonderful time of the year. Uh is it the NBA playoffs? Is it the NHL playoffs? No, it's the time when well, it's the most wonderful time of the quarter. Corporate results season just after we record this podcast Google and Microsoft's results will be coming out. Apple's results come out early next week. So, money, 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 we'll count more tech money and uh see what's going on. We'll talk about some of that next week. But for now, that is the end of this initial edition of Download. I want to thank my guest Lisa Schmeiser. Where can people find the stuff that you do? Check me on Twitter uh, at Elschmeiser, 
And I also am a columnist at The Observer now. So if you go to observer.com, look for me there on Wednesdays and Fridays, or you can subscribe to my tiny letter, which includes both my column and extra pop culture recommendations that The Observer didn't want. And that's at tinyletter.com slash Elschmeiser. All right. And Serenity Caldwell, where can people find the stuff that you do? People can find me on imore.com, of course, as well as on Twitter at Setern, S-E-T-T-E-R-N, um, and on Instagram where I do roller derby videos. Um, might do some this weekend. I'm going to go up and practice with Team Canada, so that should be really Ooh. exciting. And uh, thank you to producer Stephen Hackett, who is still living down in his hobbit hole uh, in the garden, uh, but he's not a gnome. And uh, thanks to everybody out there for listening to this first edition of Download. Until next week, we will be watching the headlines so you don't have to. Goodbye, everybody. 